Welcome to the Gensler Design Podcast. The Gensler Design Podcast creates a dialogue between design experts, creative trendsetters, and thought leaders to discuss how we can shape the future of cities through the power of design. I'm your host, David Calkins, the Regional Managing Principal of Gensler's Asia-Pacific Middle East region. Today, I'm joined by the global leader of Gensler's workplace sector, Nayan Parekh. Nayan has successfully implemented many innovative and strategy-led workplace projects across Asia, the UK, and Europe, and has helped global organizations implement workplace transformation programs. Today, we want to talk about new workplace realities in the post-COVID era. As we gather once again in our offices, what has changed since the pandemic? What are the assumptions and trends that impact the design of workplaces today? And more importantly, how are we responding to this change? Nayan, welcome to the podcast. To get started, can you tell us about your professional background and experience working in the industry? Hi, David, and thank you for inviting me to join this conversation. It's so exciting, especially given the moment we are in today. I started my career back about 20 years ago on the drawing board as an architect in India, and I practiced for a few years before starting to get slightly restless about the remit of uh, form for form's sake. And I was much more interested in user-centric design where we started looking at what we were solving from from a much wider lens. And that led me a few years later to the London School of Economics, where I did a degree in sociology. It was called City Design and Social Science. And for me, that was the first time that um, I think it really broke a lot of traditional kind of ways of looking at architecture for me, because we were solving problems from a very, very multidisciplinary lens. I remember in the program, we had people that were journalists, lawyers, policymakers, uh, architects, people that were really looking at solving for design from, from a much broader lens. And I think that stuck for me, that interest in, in a wider remit or a wider horizon of problem solving for our clients. And then fast forward, I suppose, many years later to joining Gensler. I joined Gensler initially in London in our strategy practice. And our strategy practice is hosted in the work sector. It looks at problem solving before we actually put pen to paper. A lot of it was around trying to understand what the client was asking from us first. So really repositioning uh, the problem, making sure that we were solving for the right thing. And then thinking through the solution from a multidisciplinary lens again. I remember in our strategy practice, we have people that were um, and are mathematicians, people that are designers, both interior and architecture designers. We had people that were uh, retail designers, just people that were looking at problem from a wider perspective. And so that's kind of my background in terms of how I got to where I am. I currently co-lead the work sector for our firm. And so that's kind of where I am currently in my career at Gensler and my journey through the industry so far. Well, it's great to have you on the podcast today, Nayan. I've really been looking forward to talking with you about workplace and about where we've been and where we're going. Um, ever since I attended um, the presentation that you gave as a session with uh, some of our clients at the Cornet Global Summit here in Singapore a few weeks ago. And so I think where you started was, you know, we went into the pandemic. We didn't have a lot of time to prepare for that. We were in lockdown. We couldn't get in the office. And then when we finally started to get back into the office again, uh, the world was different. Certainly the way we were working was different. And then everybody us as designers and our clients were trying to figure out where workplace design was going. 
And there were a series of predictions probably that were made that you pointed out that I just sort of wanted to walk through with you. You talked about four predictions that rang true. You talked about two predictions that maybe didn't ring so true, and then two more that the jury's out on. So I, I was hoping we could go through each one of those in turn, and maybe we can just sort of start off with those. How about the four predictions that rang true? Sure. So I think, as you said, David, COVID was probably the biggest change management experiment that the world's seen. We were all in pause. At the same time, work um, and workplace has never seen such a massive pivot to working from home, although it's been a conversation in the industry for so long. And as people come back, there is a very, very serious conversation about what a new flexibility around workplace looks like. And that framed the conversation at Cornet Global in Singapore uh, that you referenced last month, um, where I spoke with KPMG and uh, Standard Chartered Bank, because we've just been through the journey over the last three years with them. And so I think with hybrid becoming a real option for both these clients, there is a lot more thinking through kind of what the function of the office needs to be in the future. And we did make some predictions, like you said, early on in the pandemic. There's four that we kind of expected uh, that I'll, that, that rung true that I'll walk through first. So for sure, we knew that with hybrid, when people came back to work, there would be much more virtual calls. And so just at the most tactical level, solving for noise was going to be a big thing. We knew that it was not necessarily solving for call center environments, but really thinking through that lens in a much more serious way because people would be between kind of face-to-face meetings, individual work and hybrid calls, which wasn't such a big factor previously. And so noise being a top concern and being a top kind of issue for design to solve for is something we predicted. And we're seeing that ring true across the industry with most of our clients as people come back to the office. Well, of course, most people had been working from home essentially in their own private offices, except for family members that might have been interrupting them in the background. But in general, they were in their own um, very controlled spaces, right? Exactly. And they could also nuance the quality of kind of noise that was acceptable. So this whole idea that people have different ranges of tolerance around what happens uh, in the office, the office generally used to be kind of lowest common denominator because it was solving for everybody. And people have been so used to having that option when they work from home that I think that is something we're beginning to see translate as an expectation of the office as people come in. The other kind of big one is this idea around organized events, drawing people in. Another big prediction we'd made early in that amenity planning was going to be front and center and actually having a much, much more rigorous plan around service design to bring people in so that the office is really used as a glue for people when they do come in and used as a glue to draw people in is is something we predicted. And for sure, clients that have invested their OPEX costs in a much more enhanced service design have definitely seen bigger or larger numbers of people coming in around organized events. The other kind of theme around things that ran true, we, we felt would be around choice. So we've seen definitely where people have choice of where and when to work. There's much higher experience scores. There's much higher engagement scores. And this is kind of something, uh, another reason why the, the, this whole notion of hybrid is sticking, because it has given employees this notion of being able to plan work and life together, rather than only planning life around work. 
And so again, choice driving experience scores is something that we had predicted with whole true post-pandemic, and that has. And the other thing that we've noticed, and this is something we had thought would happen, but it has panned out, is that Choices has also driven self-reported productivity scores. And I remember at the Cornet Global, Standard Chartered Bank in particular had shared some of this where self-reported productivity was higher, where people felt they had choice of when and where to come in and when they were in, where to work. And our Gensler research also speaks to this quite a lot about when people are in the office, when they have choice around where to work in the office, there's much higher experience scores. So we were pretty smart. We made those predictions that rang true for four of them. And maybe they weren't hard to predict, but they did ring true after all. What about the couple that didn't ring as true? Yeah, I'd say with huge humility that for a lot of the first part of the pandemic, when we spoke to clients and when we engaged with business unit leaders and C-suite executives about what the office of the future needed to be as we were planning it for them, whether it was global portfolios or one-off office headquarter offices, most people spoke about collaboration. And it was about, hey, individual work is going to be done from home because most people can do individual work from home and people will come into the office only to collaborate or primarily to collaborate. So why don't we swing the office design in favor of collaboration and really bump up all meeting spaces in the office? So literally designing the office as a meeting space. And that hasn't necessarily rung true. When people come in, the way that they plan their day is much more nuanced. If you're coming all the way into the office for a meeting, you're also going to do your calls. You're also going to do your focused work. And so the day has a much more nuanced pattern around primarily around big collaboration events that are being planned in the office. But people are coming in so that they can sit with their teams and just have that kind of connection with the team, not necessarily to continuously collaborate. And so I would say that's one of the things we've probably overpredicted. And as people are coming in, we're seeing a different pattern. Isn't there an interesting, interesting connection to our, some of our recent WPI surveying that talks about people wanting to come into the office, I think, simply to get work done, right? Exactly. I mean... The dial was wound so heavy in favor of collaboration. We started losing the attention to focus spaces. And so in our WPI that you uh, referenced, David, a lot of the research is finding that when people come in, they're struggling to find spaces to focus. And that kind of goes back to the point you made earlier around people have been used to their own homes and nuancing their space to what they need. And so when they need focus time, they're able to get it at home and they're not finding it in the office. And so actually the office needing to offer much more balanced support, both for collaboration and focus has resurfaced as we're seeing patterns of of kind of um, work style and work activities when people do come in. But I think the other one that many of our clients feel hasn't panned out the way they predicted is this idea of serviced offices. Um, And so there was this notion around portfolio planning where clients were thinking through their portfolio through three lenses, the office, primarily for collaboration, and then the home, and then this idea of near home solutions, serviced office, co-working, whatever we want to call it. And they haven't seen the take up of that third option as high as they thought they would. And the feedback has been that when people come into the office, they want to come in to connect with their colleagues, to be seen to pick up kind of on the FOMO that they have when they're working from home and maybe missing out on more spontaneous interactions and conversations that are going on in the office. Or 
they want to work at home for the days that suit kind of the way they need to work or whether they're kind of back to back on calls, doing heads down work, they, they prioritize those days for home. So this near home solution, serviced office solution, co-working solution as part of the broader portfolio hasn't necessarily panned out the way we predicted. But I need to stress that this is still the first year of proper kind of wait and watch work patterns as people are fully coming back. To understand that this is a year of experiment uh, before we make some big predictions around what will be again for the future. And so that's the perfect segue to your last two wait and see items, right? The two that the jury are still out on. Yeah, I think the wait and see items are around um, learning. So that's the first one that I feel there was a lot of conversation around when people were at home. Younger colleagues felt that they weren't getting your learning opportunities like they had when they were in the office. And it wasn't necessarily around training. It wasn't training modules that could be done virtually. It was more the face-to-face learning. It was more the on-the-job learning that people felt was a big gap. And I think from some of the data that KPMG shared, some of the data that we're seeing from other clients as well, we're finding that younger staff actually do want face-to-face learning and are willing to come in for it. And so the jury's still out on how much that kind of dials up the impact of attendance, if you like, at the office, but there's definitely more desire for it. And most learning and development teams have started rethinking their talent development kind of planning in three buckets. So just like we are around office planning, the hybrid, the completely online, which you can do in your own time, whether you're in the office or at home, and then the hybrid, which is some dial in, some are uh, virtual. And what we're finding is the face-to-face is pretty high demand at the moment. And I think this is a trend we'll continue seeing, but we'll have to wait and watch for this year. And then the last one was just around um, this idea of mingling across teams. So traditionally, every time this is pre-pandemic, every time clients moved from a tradition assigned one-to-one workspace to a more kind of shared activity-based workspace, what we would find is that people started mingling more across teams quicker. So the silos across teams started dissolving much, much faster because you'd naturally sit next to different people when you came in because desks weren't assigned. What we're seeing now with hybrid is that when you're working two or three days a week away from the office, when you do come back to the office, you want to sit next to your team. And so this idea that a shared space breaks team silos I think that was true pre-COVID. I think post-pandemic in a hybrid format, there is more desire to be more kind of contained within the team. And I think silos will still break, but I think we can't depend as much as we used to on shared workspace to break team silos like they used to. So I think this the jury's still out on how, like whether this will take longer or not. Well, we come to the office to see our friends and, uh, and the people we enjoy working with. And so that's very, uh, that's very understandable. So hybrid seems like it's pretty well here to stay. And for the reasons you said, choice is driving productivity. It's driving experience scores. Companies are taking a variety of approaches to this. Some are saying, you know, you got to be in all the time. Some are saying you figure it out, come in when you need to. In this hybrid model, how can companies sort of strike a balance between accommodating the employees that want to be in all the time or most of the time and, and some that don't want to be in uh, anywhere near as much? Yeah, that's a tough question. And it's, um, 
There is kind of no crystal ball at the moment to say this is the perfect solution. And honestly, I feel it is very nuanced, dependent on work style and culture of company. Personally, just looking at kind of the different models that are out there, I do feel that companies need to be a little bit more emphatic about the fact that there are certain determined team days when people do need to come in. One of the biggest fears that a lot of executives have had through the pandemic and have now is that we've kind of eroded social capital across the last three years because there were previously built up bonds just from familiarity of being in the same space for eight or more hours a day, that now people are kind of relying on and new bonds are much slower to be formed. So whether it's friendships, whether it's work relationships, whether it's kind of water cooler moments that are being lost. And so having specific team days where the team knows that they can all be in to create that sense of on-job learning, to create that sense of camaraderie, to create that sense of kind of being together and familiarity is very, very important. If we had to plan it, the advice that we usually give clients is to balance it between having those determined team days be kind of stipulated, if you like, by the company, and then having one or two days that are much freer where individuals can choose around when they want to come in. So people don't feel like choice has been taken away but they feel like there is a framework in place that they can respond to and arrange their lives around as well. And we're seeing this in some of the research that's coming back where people are asking for a little bit more structure around what hybrid means for their own company so that they don't feel like, oh my God, is my boss going to judge me because I'm not in every day versus, oh, I don't need to go in because they've said we're hybrid and you can do what you want. And so having a little bit of, um, of structure with flexibility is what we're suggesting, not to have it a complete free-for-all, not to have it a complete mandate. Okay, so I want to pivot for a second here. I think the pandemic proved to us, if it wasn't ever proven before, that if we, unless we have human health, we'll never have economic health. So health-promoting and well-being-promoting spaces in the workplace are really important. Can you talk a little bit about that as our response to the pandemic and give some examples about maybe how we've changed the workplace a little bit? Yeah. And I, I think like health, even the whole spectrum of conversations around health has been stretched so far. Like we're not just talking about physical health anymore. We are talking about mental health and well-being. And it's interesting that it's become such a workplace conversation because it's almost as, as if the liability or the, the responsibility of this is beginning to shift into the corporate sphere rather than just the individual's. And that's given me a lot of hope because it's really beginning to look at people that are employed as whole people rather than people that are just coming in to do a particular task. And so that the spectrum of like conversation becoming wider is, is really exciting. And I think just in terms of space, what we've started seeing is traditionally we'd have a mother's room, we'd have a wellness room. I think that that idea of ticking boxes to cover these things has shifted. And we're beginning to see much larger multifunctional wellness zones that respond kind of to all senses. So we're talking about eat, play, sleep spaces. So I think just on the eat side, there's been a big conversation about pantry and what food is stocked and thinking through healthier options. Google started doing this a while back, but just much more widely thinking about what you put into your pantry is going into your people is part of the conversation. Also spaces to kind of decompress and 
whether it's active decompression, so sports spaces or spaces to kind of relax, whether it's nap pods or like we used to have traditionally in China, places where people could actually take a break and sleep during lunch um, have become more prominent or at least more discussed uh, as clients are thinking through their office of the future. And finally, I think also just a much more multi-sensory approach. So thinking through sounds, thinking through smells, having spaces that are kind of infused with aroma that I guess trigger a different kind of response uh, from employees is, is what companies have also started thinking through. And then two other things that have entered this conversation are uh, biophilia in a much more meaningful way. I think fake plants are probably on their way out at the moment in workspace. And then indoor-outdoor spaces. So like you said earlier, David, the working from home has created new behaviors and not all of us had our air conditioning or heating on all the time. And so becoming kind of more connected to circadian rhythms, more tolerant of temperatures that may not be super controlled are something that we've become a little bit more used to and a little bit more tolerant of. And so clients are thinking through much more seriously what these spaces mean. I think at Gensler currently, we're calling it the great mid-doors because <laughs> we're not really sure whether it's indoors, outdoors, but these are atrium spaces, threshold spaces. If workspace has balcony terraces, how those get incorporated into spaces for health and wellness are seriously being considered. Well, I know this has been an exciting period of time, if not scary uh, period of time, where we've been confronting all, uh, all sorts of change and trying to accommodate you know, events that have been way beyond our control. You, as being one of our really senior thought leaders and strategy leaders, have been working with companies to try and figure out you know, what's coming and, and how we provide the best environments we possibly can. You're working with clients all the time who are struggling with big ideas and the why and, and then the how. If there are um, clients or potential clients listening to us now and they've got a new project that's coming up, what would you tell them they should really be thinking about at this moment? I think there's probably five big things I would suggest. The first one, and we spoke about it a little bit, is kind of the office is now your business card. It's your cultural glue. And it's the way that your employees understand what your values are in a physical sense. And so the first thing to kind of think through is what's going to bring them back. And so it's this idea of amenity and service planning. Besides kind of connecting with their teams, there's also other kind of ways to curate culture when they are back. So to think through that in a really meaningful way, it may not just be free coffee. I don't think that's going to cut it anymore. And it may not just be about free stuff. It's really about when you have a captive audience for a shorter period of time, how do you make them feel like they belong? Um, and so amenity and service planning, I think, would be something to really think through strategically and tactically. I think the the uh, next one I would definitely um, speak to all clients that we're talking to at the moment is in the building up of the new office, tell the story around sustainability. So just making sure that we're very aware of the impact the design of the office is having on the environment and therefore the mitigation that we can do as we plan for it. And then making that part of the story of celebration as people move in to say, this is what we've done because we were super keen on the lowest amount of impact on the planet that we can have. Um, the third one has been part of the conversation in the industry for a very long time, and that's around prop tech. And it's really accelerated with the pandemic. So 
how do you make the experience of coming to the office much, much more seamless? And it's not just around booking systems, whether it's for a desk or for a meeting room, but it's also just thinking through your kind of phone as a single pane of glass where you can potentially get information about who else is in. You can get information about spaces around. You can get so where to go for lunch, etc. You can get kind of information about a whole bunch of things that you need through that one device. And I know a lot of companies are already looking at this, but in the in the longer term, I think just making that front and center of accessibility to the office would be a really nice thing to see because then it goes into the background. It's almost something that you don't see because it's so well designed. The next thing I would suggest is to, to have a think about work patterns. What I mean by that is in traditional, like pre-pandemic, we would think through, oh, is it a sales office? Is it an engineering office? And of course, there's huge differences in work patterns there and then plan accordingly. But now with the pandemic, each team and each kind of function has very different preferences as they come in. And a lot of it is around the culture of the organization and the culture of the team. And so to what we were discussing earlier around hybrid patterns, I think just thinking through the work patterns, so you're providing space that really matches the way the teams want to use it. This is a real chance to reset because flexibility is now a given. How do the teams want to work when they come to the office? And therefore, how can the office be reset? So thinking through the lens of kind of work patterns in much more extreme compared to earlier, I think would be really useful. And it would also help with the Monday, Friday dips that we're all seeing in occupancy, where you come into the office, Monday, the office is empty, Friday, the office is empty, and then everybody's looking for a place to sit on Wednesday and can't find one. And so having kind of work patterns and occupancies balanced to both solve for portfolio and to solve for people is super key. And then I think the last thing I would say is in terms of planning for the office to plan as flexibly as possible, just given the four predictions that rang true, the two that, that didn't and two where the jury's still out, I think this year things might change. And having kind of the, uh, the ability to plug and play so that you're switching things up is advice that we give to most clients. Uh, so really thinking through where solid partition should come versus where loose furniture uh, appears, thinking through whether some, some places are planned as experiments. So you have suppliers that change configurations around every quarter and you get feedback. I think that would be like the last or the fifth piece of advice around planning for the future in a new headquarters or a new office this year. Well, those are uh, five great things to think about for our clients and potential clients. Any other sort of key observations or learnings that you've taken out of this whole period of time? I think maybe just one thing, which is um, this idea of thinking through kind of what is the function of workplace? I think thinking through it, if you go back to kind of the Taylorist office that was basically designed straight out of the factory and designed such that it was secretaries on one side, managers on the other, supervisors roaming around because it was basically following the movement of paper. We know that the way kind of workspace is designed is, is usually quite responsive to workflows. And so thinking through kind of how technology might switch that in the future, I think we should always be kind of one step ahead thinking through that lens rather than just what people are doing right now. So a lot of the conversation we've had so far, a lot of what I've said is 
thinking through kind of a user-centric lens and patterns of use, but often people don't know what they don't know. And so really thinking through kind of where technology is taking us and therefore what workflow will look like in the future is, is something to be super cognizant of and on top of. And we've had clients ask us already about kind of how you design call centers that may in the future be operated by robots. And so like this whole advent of AI, I think we need to be super aware of it and see how it's disrupting, how we might work in the future, but also what we might call workplace in the future. Well, um, thanks, Nayan. I appreciate your time today, um, your great insights. And uh, again, congratulations on your uh, wonderful presentation at the Cornet Global Summit here in Singapore. While there are still many unknowns about the future of work, one thing is certain. The workplace environments will need to continue to evolve and adapt to meet the needs of employees and companies they work for. This is the Gensler Design Podcast. I'm your host, David Calkins. Thank you for listening. We'll see you on the next episode.